<laughs> hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Pixelist Podcast, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. As always, we're your hosts. I'm Will. That's Blake. And today we're here to talk some Critical Role, baby. Ooh, baby. Um, it's always weird when it's like been two weeks. I know. And like we're, it's like, do we still talk about this show? Yeah, you know? it's I, I feel like several times recently I've talked about like, man, it feels like forever. But right. uh, here it does again. Um, but yeah, mostly I'm sure because of the two week break. Um, but hey, look at us. We're getting the Critical Role episode out pre-Thursday. We yeah, are just, dude. you know, we're killing it. Um, we're making it happen. We are. And uh, y'all, we're going to be speeding through the announcements. Not what we really have any anyway. Um, uh, but we, uh, we're we cracking on a time limit tonight. So anything to say before we dive in? Um, all I would say is we never really talk about this, but I would say for you guys who don't typically watch Foresighted Dive, um, the latest episode was actually really good. And there was a lot of like, just great, like lore discussion conversation. Um, I'm sure we might even reference some of it tonight, but just for you guys, if you don't typically catch that, um, I typically don't watch it. And I was like, oh my gosh, is this every episode? Which by the way, is this every episode? Uh, yeah, I mean, some okay. are better than others, you know, that's just my, you know, having seen one being like, you should, you guys should watch this. And you guys who do watch it, you're like, yeah, <laughs> plus so, it's, it's go. got a banging soundtrack or theme song. I mean, yeah. um, but yeah, on that note, um, I actually don't often watch foresighted dive live, but I do try to watch it every month. Um, but regardless of if I'm watching it live or not, we have a group, uh, that does watch it live and chats in our discord every week or every month since it's a once a month thing. So come join us for that. And this is a good chance to just plug the discord in general. Um, we have a group that not only chats along for four sided dive, but of course the main episodes as well, uh, which we will be doing tomorrow night. So uh, the link to that will be in the description as always. Uh, would love to have you come be a part of that community. Um, other than that, wizard, the witch and the wild one, we always are cranking those out as well. And um I don't know, probably not before this podcast reaches YouTube, but either shortly after um, or maybe at the latest tomorrow morning, uh, I will be putting out a video on uh, Critical Role Theory that I've been working on. So check that out as well. Um, but anything else? Can we get a little preview in a word? Yeah, yeah. So it's just about the Tishtan, which we've we've briefly spoken about in passing oh, yeah. on, on the podcast. I've, I've eaten Tishtan before. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I, I just go a bit more into depth. Um, yeah. Yeah. You guys watch that video. My man Will is the absolute, you know, we're, we're a pretty humble channel. We're pretty much like, hey, yeah, watch <laughs> us or don't, you know, but I'm going to, my man Will puts a lot of work into these deep dives and he's really great at it. So Check out that video for sure when it drops. Uh, you said tomorrow? Maybe maybe tonight, but at the latest tomorrow. Okay. I appreciate okay. the kind words, my friend. I've, I've been trying to up my video editing. So, yeah, y'all y'all, let me know if if we want to see more like that. Um, But, yeah, without further ado, let's dive into our recap of episode 66 of Campaign 3, Aid of the Tempest. And as always, we're going to cut this recap out, host it separately. So if you're on just that recap video and you want to see our full discussion, you will be able to find it uh, linked in the description below. So, yeah, episode 66. We pick uh, back up. What? 
Sorry, man. I said, let's do it. And oh, it <laughs> I, I thought you were about to say you were doing first half and I was gonna be like, oh, gosh. Uh, no, no, you're good. <laughs> so we pick back up with their crew having just teleported to Zephra, uh, where they're immediately confronted by guards who are actually like um, pummeling them with wind, essentially. And members of Bell Cells are flying everywhere. Um, but Orum is like, hey, hey, friendlies here. Like, uh, we're coming home. Um and it's at this point that the guards stand down and one in particular with long blonde hair, we find out to be Maeve, uh, one of Will's sisters. So Orum tackles her in a big hug and then introduces everyone and asks her how everything is. Um, she tells him that the Tempest is resting, but she's not doing too great and that everyone has just been kind of scattered after the big fight at the Malleus Key. Um, she does tell him that Lita, another sister, is... Um, back here as well safely and she is standing guard over Keyleth. Um, she also then quickly says that, you know, your mom's doing great. My mom's doing great. Um, and we basically get a quick family tree, an official one um, from Orem about Will's family. So we know that Will had triplet siblings um, of which Maeve and Lita are two of the three. The third one we don't meet here, but um, his name is Bernie or her name. I guess we don't know. And uh, Will was their younger brother. And then, of course, Derek was Will's father. Nell is Will's mother. Um, and Alma is Orem's mother. So Orem says, hey, we need to go talk to the Tempest. So Maeve leads them to her. Um, inside, they see Lita, who, again, is a master of defense. Um, and they then get escorted up to Keyleth's room, where they find her resting on a large bed, uh, wounds all over her body, still festering basically. Yeah. Um, Orem kneels and the rest of Bell's Hells follow and they greet Keyleth and they find out that she's still in such a rough spot because um, her wounds are inflicted with that same poison that was used in the previous attack on Zephyr that prevents resurrections. Um, she tells them that she was only able to recover back then because of this remedy. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> blue peridium <laughs> uh, flower. <laughs> which uh, is very rare, very hard to find. Um, and she says, you know, we sent out a group to go find more of this flower to help me get back, you know, up to speed. Uh, but they haven't heard from them in uh, a few days now. Um, and we find out that this flower, I believe its leaves look like faces and they only grow mm -hmm. in like very rare places, typically right. places of strife. Um, and specifically the Grey Valley is where this group was sent to and is probably the safest amongst the places they're aware of that this flower grows. Um, <clears throat> Orem then asks Keyleth, you know, what's like, what happened? What's the last thing you remember? And Keyleth says that she saw someone important to her, someone she lost long ago. Um, that was the last thing she saw this person and that she is going to do everything in her power to destroy those who did this. Ludinus, Odahan, Liliana. And Orem at that point is like, hey, <laughs> By the way, Liliana is Imogen's mom. And Keyleth is like, yeah, I had my suspicions. Um, but Imogen actually says, you know, she's here to help. And she actually telepathically communicates to Keyleth that, like, I'm here to help. I just want to fix this. And Keyleth is like, I just need to regain my strength, get to Vasselheim, speak with the other leaders there. But I can't in my current state. So I hate asking. But Orem, would you and your friends mind looking into the group that went missing? Uh to go look for the flowers. 
And Orem says, of course, like, let me and my friends prove ourselves to you. Like, we'll do it. Um, and there's a little moment here as well where Orem and Keyleth are just speaking about how angry they are. <clears throat> and Keyleth says, you know, I've been angry for 30 years, but she tells Orem, you have to learn how to use your anger. So help me use mine. And boom, they're, they're all about it. Orem is like, yes, we'll do anything. Um, so then Lita takes the party and is like, Hey, we're going to get you anything you need for this journey. And, uh, Maeve can actually teleport you guys to the gray Valley when you're ready to go. Um, and then they have a brief conversation here where Lita tells them more about what happened, um, at the excavation site after the bright white light, uh, because she was there. She says that many people just vanished, but the fighting that took place afterwards was brutal. Um, some of the Raylora came down and they were fighting them. And the Ashari just did their best to collect their troops and retreat. Uh, interestingly, Fern does an insight check here and does get a whisper from Matt. And after this, she asks Lita if she thinks there's any moles among the Ashari. Uh, but Lita just shakes her head and says she doesn't want to sow any distrust or paranoia. Hmm. So uh, another Ashari that's kind of been here the whole time is this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this man named Tholo, who is kind of an expert in history. Uh, so they ask Tholo about the Grey Valley and learn that it's this place that was marred in the Great uh, War of Gwasar hundreds of years ago, and that demonic essences and spirits still like scavenge the land. Uh, because he's an expert, uh, Ashton actually asks him about the Hishari, uh, and Tholo tells him basically what we already knew, that they just kind of stole the Hishari name for credibility and got messed, with, messed in with some things they shouldn't have and blew themselves up. But Ashton asks, hey, if you can learn any more about that, like, I would really love to know. So then the crew goes and checks in with Orm's mom, uh, Alma, and she is ecstatic to see everybody and meets everyone. And we find out she's one of the midwives of the town. And <clears throat> they bring out some of Orm's old baby stuff, uh, including some of his toys and booties. And uh, Chetney actually makes a small little wooden statue of Orm to give to Alma. And uh, he, of course of course, engraved C-pop industries on the side. And the mom is, you know, like, oh my gosh, this is such craftsman craftsmanship. And it's revealed that Orem's baby toys were also C-pop um, items. And so everyone just freaks out that like Chetney actually is, you know, not just all smoke. Um, and there's a few jokes made about, you know, Chetney potentially being Orem's dad, but they have their little meeting and then the group heads off. Um, and then they quickly go and see two people, uh, Torth, who is like a local blacksmith to get some, um, leather working done for Orem and his armor getting patched up. And then a person named Fanny Z, who's like a, a seamstress and Ashton goes to place an order for some new clothes. Um, one befitting an anti-hero with like newfound purpose. Um, so after that's all settled, they then head to Maeve to be teleported and they are handed a backpack and said, like, you basically need to fill this backpack with the flower to have enough. Um, Orem hugs his two sisters and they teleport. And that's where we go to break on the first half. Yeah, great job, man. Well, coming back from the break, they step out of this portal into the Gray Valley to see. Um, I think Laura describes it as like being in color on television with everything black and white. Um, it is a desolate area 
Um, even the leaves on the trees are this sort of pale, papery white color. Um, the ground, I think Matt describes it as like this, like crunchy dried moss. Um, and the party can just barely see a mountaintop, uh, sort of crowning the edge of the valley. Um, and they know they're a ways from Zephra and they immediately are wondering, okay, where exactly should we go? Where do we find this flower? Um, Orum actually does have a couple of perception checks for, I think like a 27 and a 30, um, naturally. And, uh, Matt's like, you are sure the blue flower is not here. Um, <laughs> Ladna is going to send Pate to look around and see if, um, he can find it. Uh, but meanwhile, FCG is going to cast divination where, excuse me, he's going to ask the change bringer, Hey, can you guide us? Can you let us know where to go? As he um, basically lets the coin out of the change bringer, it's going to spin and fall in a western direction, uh, sort of guiding them that, hey, what you seek is in is in the western direction. Uh, so they begin to head that way, and immediately um, Ashton is going to cast uh, Pass Without a Trace on the party uh, because, like I mentioned, it's, it's a desolate place, but more importantly, they are seeing all sorts of creatures in the distance, notably some sort of like large dark beasts that are flying in the sky um, and sort of circling the area. There is one point actually where um, two of these winged creatures uh, are nearby and they fly off without seeing the party. Uh, and then after an hour, uh, the pass without a trace falls off and the party is very much sort of stealthily looking through this area, trying to find this flower. Um, notably, they do come across a body uh, in sort of the brush of this area uh, with a helmet that has been um, seemingly stabbed or slashed from behind. And Chetney picks up this helmet with the head sort of falling down and stows it away in their bag of holding. Um, it's also around this time where as they're walking around, they find this large clearing where it feels like the trees have sort of been blown back in like this 200 feet direction. And Orem actually wonders if this was like an arrival spot for some fiendish creature of some kind. Uh, speaking of fiendish creature, um, I think there was something along the lines. I don't know if Chetney casted something, but I think they detected something fiendish about this place. I don't know if you remember Will, um, but they just know there's there's yep. bad stuff around, right, yeah. basically. So um, they continue on. Uh, they pass through a marsh, uh, this little marshland, uh, and they've gone for a couple of hours at this point. And two things happen. One, Chetney decides he's going to scout ahead to see if he can track anything down and begins to observe what appears to be this black smoke that seems to be coming out of the ground, this sort of light, wispy black smoke. Uh, Ladna confirms with Pate to see what Pate sees, and it seems like this smoke is sort of like coming out from the trees in some way. So they're thinking, okay, well, let's keep heading west, but let's also try to avoid... Black smoke does not seem good, so let's try to avoid that in the very least. They eventually make their way um, through this marshland into this sort of rocky clearing where um, Pate finds in this sort of crevasse of this rock uh, a bundle of blue um, flowers, this, this blue flower that they've been looking for. 
and Chetney creeps up to try to get a closer look and actually um, there's a funny moment where they find out that Pate is actually colorblind because <laughs> they're like, go towards the blue flower. And he's like, well, I don't know what color that is. Um, all that to say, Chetney climbs up, begins sort of harvesting out this these flowers and stowing them to his bag. Um, the party is about 60 feet away. And it's around this time that a couple things get noticed. Two, uh, one of the things being these two bodies of seemingly freshly deceased elves or half elves that sort of pop up in an undead way and also this creature this demonic creature with um matt describes it as having like these two large encircling horns that go up about two feet above its head that's just perched on a nearby rock and um Orem sees this with his passive perception, motions to Chetney, who then tries to pretend to, like, oh, I'm coming back, guys. I don't see anything. <laughs> Begins sort of to creep back. Um, but combat does begin. And what we typically do in combat is we try to just cover the highlights of combat. Having said that, there were a lot of freaking cool moments in this yes. combat. Um, so you might even have to help me, Will, if I forget anything here. But... Um, this creature is a devourer demon. It's a classic 5E creature. And in its torso are these ribs that sort of open up to reveal um, a, a humanoid figure that is seemingly like trapped in the rib cage of this monster. Yikes. And the party, the party surmises that these are some of the Ashari group that has been sent before them to retrieve the blue flowers. So they begin to fight the two undead creatures. They begin to fight the devourer demon. Um, the two creatures are going to jump on Chetney immediately and grapple him. And FCG casts something to make them like go 30 feet away and they drag Chetney with them. <laughs> uh, and it's only a funny moment because there's like this, like it's a marsh. So there's like this thick, like um, there's a body of water nearby. And Chetney's like, FCG, what are you having them do? <laughs> like, Stop. <laughs> Um, speaking of the water, by the way, there's also going to be some wraiths that come out of the water as well to join the fray. Um, Ashton is going to rage and attack the devourer demon and does like 50 points of damage. Um, knocks it prone, does a lot of really cool stuff um, with that. Uh, and then Ladna at some point during the combat is going to basically like summon out of her breaking rib cage this um, demon wolf. Uh, I can't remember what she called it, um, but we, it's yeah. not the first time we've seen it. She's done it before um, in a previous episode, but uh, that'll join the combat too. But absolutely the MVP of this combat is Fern, who casts Aura of Life, and it does two things. First of all, it halves all necrotic damage that the party takes within 30 feet, and then if someone starts the round at zero hit points, meaning they've been knocked out, knocked out in the previous round, they pop back up at one hit point. Um, this is important because before she casts this, the, the Devourer Demon does this attack that does like 30 points of damage to almost everyone, and it's necrotic damage. Um, so this spell is like, this Aura of Life is like the MVP. It's constantly having damage. And in fact, she gets focused a couple of times uh, and is just barely able to keep her concentration up before eventually one of these wraiths attack her and actually knock her out and the aura of life unfortunately drops 
Um, not to mention, I don't know if the daylight spell ends either, but she had also casted this spell called daylight, which created this 60 foot beam of light that, um, well, the undead and the demon didn't like that so much. Um, Imogen is also going to cast, I think in one turn she casts, um, witch bolt and maybe even a second time she casts it. Uh, but she's eventually going to get the, how do you want to do this? Uh, the lightning is going to cascade up, hit the demon, uh, Chetney on its back, I think. Um, and the demon's basically going to explode and die. Um, and the combat ends with, um, uh, Orem has this cool moment of him, uh, I think, like reaching down into like the the shadowy corpse of the demon and sort of pulling out from this from it this moat of that humanoid that was trapped in its like rib cage mm-hmm. and has this sort of like burial like goodbye like this sort of last tethering of of touch. Um, the party's unfortunately only gathered about a third of the flowers at this point, and so they continue on west. Uh, to see what else awaits them. And that is where episode 66 ends um, of campaign three of Critical Role. So great job, man. uh, Thank you. Yeah. And don't forget, guys, that's just our recap. If you're watching just this recap video, we have our whole discussion uh, linked in the description below as well. Pop, pop. Okay. All of a sudden, when I was doing the recap, I was like, Oh my gosh, there's so many things I want to say in this combat. But then I started thinking this is getting really long. It was a long um, episode. It was a five hour, long. five hour behemoth. It was long. And unlike, I mean, some episodes there's a little bit of filler in there, but like, I feel like every part of this episode, I was like, like, wow, that is something I want to talk about, which is good that we have. <laughs> we're crunched for time tonight. <laughs> then. Um, I, I, I have faith in us. So just starting with the combat, um, it was cool. Like this was like, this was the first combat since they leveled up. Um, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it, it was, just, you could see the power change. I mean, we got a couple of new spells that was cool. Um, but then also I think what scares me, I don't think this is the last combat that they're going to have. Because they only have a third of the flowers, they don't. They still haven't discovered the rest of the Ashari troop, and the Devourer Demon didn't have wasn't a legendary creature, which, not that it needed to be, but the fact that it wasn't that it didn't have legendary actions makes me wonder if Matt has a more scary monster lined up, yeah, for a future episode, like next episode even. Yeah. Okay. There's a few things I want to sure. a- address in what you just said. Yeah. First combat at level 10. Also first combat since they've reunited. So it was just, it was yeah. good to have everybody together. Like you said, Fern MVP for sure. Like, right. thank goodness she had that spell. I mean, that was the perfect spell. Yeah. yeah. You know, and like, <clears throat> I, I'm not familiar enough with druids do they they don't do they pick their spells every morning uh that i, mean, I don't know even if they do it's not like ashley knew like necrotic damage was about to be a thing so just <clears throat> fortuitous great call by ashley yeah. especially to like remember and actually use it which um you know druids have 
so many things they can do. Um, just truly MVP, uh, like you said. I don't think druids pick their spells for the day. They don't. I know I they, they do. <clears throat> Let's see. They. Actually, I just yeah, they do because right? they have so many. Yeah. I. Let's figure this out. I mean, it's either every day or every level. Oh, after long rest, so it was actually more than I. Okay, so uh, that's that's every day basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, just just props to her, and I'm guessing that's a whatever. I'm guessing that's like a what's the max level spell slot they have now at level ten? Whatever that I is. Two, I think they have two level five. Okay, I'm guessing that's five. a level five spell then. Um. I mean, maybe here's us. Maybe we should know our D and D knowledge a little bit better <laughs> as I'm Googling each thing. Um, oh, wait, that's interesting. It says fourth level spell, but it says paladin and cleric. Hmm. Perhaps a little, little homebrew, a little, little homebrew. She action? didn't, she, cause she is multi-class, but not either of those. No, she's a druid. And rogue. She took it, and, and rogue, right? Yeah. But she took another point into druid. Um, but isn't her subclass? Doesn't that have a homebrew element to it, or I don't know. Yeah, okay. It, it must, or you know, something's Let's going say. on. But oh, fourth level—that's interesting. So I guess she's maybe had that spell before level ten. This is just the first time she's had a chance to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Uh... Fern, level 10. Okay, here we go. Or wait, maybe uh, so she level. doesn't have fifth level spells because she's really only level nine druid. Or wait, is that how that works? I think you get the first one at level nine. We should stop talking, honestly, because yeah. we're probably just revealing how little yeah. we know. Listen, um, we don't claim to be experts of the rules. I am far from it. Um, I think it's a subclass thing. Okay. She's she's Circle of Wildlife. Um it's a level four spell. Um, she does have a level five spell. That's scrying. Um, right. That's right. So it's one of her two level four spells. Okay. Um, R of life and fire shield. Well, yeah. So. MVP of the, of the round of the episode. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, that, that whole, the whole like atmosphere that Matt, that the gray Valley has that Matt like built in that encounter. And then like Chetney, you know, the, the guy just like sitting in the tree or whatever it was like watching them, you know, for a while before combat actually started. Yeah. Um, it just gave me all the dark souls vibes like that. Yes. You just like are walking, exploring in an area. And then like, you see this thing in the distance and you're like, is that gonna, is that thing going to fight me? Um, so just really cool atmosphere for the whole second half of the episode. It's something, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say just a very, I I love when like the vibe is just so gloomy, like Dark Souls-esque. Yeah. And like when that moment happened where the demon was just perched, like I immediately was like, and then also the description of the character, I had never seen a devour demon before. So the description of the character like trapped within its chest was horrifying. Messed up for sure. And I'm so curious about this area. Too. I don't. I don't want to. Let's maybe table that for a little bit. I'm also very curious about this area in general. But that's yeah. to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, more, more, a little bit more to say on that for sure. But to one of the other things you said about, you know, them only having a third of their flowers and potentially having more combat encounters while here, I 
whatever it was that like Chetney saw and before this encounter happened, excuse me, I have like a burp that's like caught in my chest. Um, that like they, they felt like something had come through or something, you know, I don't remember the yeah, exact word. Uh, I said crater. I don't think it, or I don't think I even said, I said clearing. I don't know if they even used the phrasing clearing, but yeah, that area where like the trees were like, um, I think, I think they even called it like an infernal or a demonic crop circle. Is what it yeah. Kind of yeah. Like, like they were like still something. burning or something. Yeah. Something weird about it. So it, it totally could be that the devourer demon was the cause of that, but my instincts are telling me not that it's not, which means whatever that was or did could still be out there. So I'm with you on being kind of nervous about, you know, them getting out of this place unscathed. Bro, a, a non-legendary creature was hitting them for 40 points of damage. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, how much health do they have? Let's see here. They have 70 hit points. So yeah. That's Which Matt, far. that's probably, yeah. Matt probably fudged that though with, you know, having seven players. Yeah, sure. He's sure. Like, yeah. Bruises stuff a bit. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the thing was definitely no joke. So if, if it's not crop circle guy, like who knows what that thing can do. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, then to what you were touching on a second ago, like just this place in general, um, really cool lore like you know it was the the site of this war back in the guasara days which you know is so long ago yeah um and a cool little tidbit um matt, matt touched on it but you know this the the king drasig from back then like basically brokered this deal um with uh, like a demon lord to like help him win the battle and so that's why there's like the demons and stuff that are still like infested in this area uh but from one of the one of the books it, i think it i don't remember which one i guess it's not important but either explorer's guide or, or Taldoi reborn uh talks of there's a sentient weapon that is is still like still here to this day um that there's like an evil sentient weapon that is like guarded by two demons but they're pretending to be knights um so what? i i don't see that really making an appearance like on screen in campaign three, but it would be really cool if it did. Um, yeah. I, and, uh, <clears throat> sorry, keep going. No, that, that was, that was basically it. I just, not that it couldn't show up, but I feel like a lot of stuff that like is in the books, um, mm -hmm. that's like, it's canon of course and stuff like that. But I feel like Matt typically does like his own stuff, you know, I don't, I don't know how I'm really explaining this, but, I, it I could show it. up, but I would, I would, it would make more sense to like, for something to show up, like be it a sentient weapon or whatever that like maybe wasn't in the books. Um, but I guess I that's get, not true. Uh, so I don't know what I I'm think, talking about. I think Matt takes a lot of like D and D stuff and just like reflavors it or kind of puts his, his spin on it. Um, well, but this is from their book. I mean, Oh, Oh, okay. Like, then, Taldor yeah, reborn or whatever. Yeah. Then especially yeah. Uh, while you were talking though, I was pulling up a map of Taldore just to kind of get an idea of like the geography and the landscape. I didn't realize how far, like I knew they took a portal, but I didn't realize how far away they're far. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if you, if you've seen this on the map, but I mean, from Zephra to the gray Valley, this is 
crazy how far this is. I haven't like actually looked at like a map to like visualize it, but I did. Well, so Zephyr is like about and about in the middle to the right, and then the Great Valley is like all the way almost, almost the northernmost point of Taldore. So they go past a lot of stuff. But point being, um, I just didn't realize how far they were going to get to this place. Um, would be really interesting. Like the sentient weapon, is this a vestige of divergence? Um, it wouldn't be. I guess it could be a, like a, a. There's vestiges which are like the good ones, and then there's like arms of the betrayers. I think, which maybe they're right. all considered vestiges. Um, it's like the arms are something different. Well, quantified, classified as something different, even though they're because like the vestiges. It, you're going to have to help me here with, without sounding like an idiot. So the arms of the betrayer <coughs> were the weapons crafted by the betrayer gods to fight with during the calamity. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, the one that we know of is um, the one that Xerxes would eventually wield. Right? The weapon formed from the... Um, yeah, the... can't think of what Whatever that called. creature was called. Yeah. Right. We're on the same page. Yeah. The vestiges of divergence, however, is this the yin and yang, like the the prime deity version of those? When we talk about vestiges of divergence, um, like where these these are the weapons that the champions of the prime deities wielded during the calamity, or were these power were these weapons like created after the fact? I think more the former, but I don't know if it's okay. like a hard and fast, okay, like distinction. Yeah. Um, okay. okay. <clears throat> I um I pulled it up here so I could answer you for sure, and it doesn't say anything about being a vestige or being an arm of the betrayer, but I guess it's just like a powerful yeah. sentient weapon. Um, yeah. Okay. And actually, the the consciousness that makes it sentient is actually like the same demon prince that the king made the deal with. Grast. I'm probably not saying that right. It's G R A Z Z T. So maybe would show up on screen in C three. Interesting. And it would be yeah. cool. Um, I was going to say, we haven't really had, not that it has to happen. I don't know when this happened in CR uh, 2, by the way, uh, campaign 2. We haven't really gotten a wondrous item, a, a truly mythical item. Uh, again, not that they need to, but um, you know, I'm 70 episodes in. Wouldn't be a bad time to maybe introduce something, you know? Yeah. I will say in, in campaign one, obviously it was the first one and that's where the, like gathering the vestiges was like a massive part of the storyline. Um, you know, you've, you've seen uh, legend of Vox Machina that's like started to happen in the animated show. Um, for those right. of you that haven't seen campaign one, but have seen that they leaned slightly away from that in campaign two. Um, I mean, probably because you just don't want to have like the same story be of like, let's go arm up with the weapons we need. Um, yeah, let's go find more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I get it. That, that being said, there were still, uh, and I, you know, I know people are going to yell at me in the comments with like specific corrections, but I'm just trying to, you know, be spoiler free here. Um, they leaned away from that in campaign two, but there were still like really powerful items at that, you know, show, showed up. Um, so I think the same will be true for this. Uh, they just might not be vestiges of divergence necessarily yeah. um but like imogen's staff i mean lewdness's old staff that seem i get that's like the most powerful one we've seen thus far i guess i would say 
Yeah, um, I guess it's actually a little unfair for me to say they haven't truly found. Yeah, I mean, you're you're actually spot on. That's true. I didn't think about the staff and um, the. Uh, I don't know if you this goes in the same conversation, but like the vest, like the funnel vest. Yeah. The the face swallower. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Which speaking of, since I know you you uh, watched Four Sided Dive as well. We found out that FCG has legend lore, and I was thinking like, oh, he needs to use legend lore on that harness. Yeah, and we can find out some more specifics about it. Yes, um, which I feels- almost felt like we need to have like a summary of having it being the first one I watched. <laughs> I was like, why are we talking about this kind of stuff? There's like some really awesome nuggets yeah. in these conversations. Um, but I was also a little bothered by Danny Carr being off screen and like piping in. I was like, let's get this person a seat. Like every time yeah. she has an insight, I'm like, let's go. Like, like let's bring her in. So I feel like it's got to be a case of where she doesn't want to. Cause yeah, surely okay. like, cause I've, I've had that thought before too, but I think maybe she just like, isn't, doesn't want to be, I mean, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze anybody here, but yeah. I would imagine <laughs> like if, if that's what she like, wanted, she, like she, she would have eight that. years old. Oh yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I like literally every time she piped in, I kept wanting, I kept wanting the camera to be on her because I was like, yes, yes, that's yes. A, such a great point. Yes, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. She she had some great insights yeah. and uh, points in the most recent but episode. Getting back to the the Gale Valley, uh, the Gray Valley, Gale Valley's Diablo Four. Um, <laughs> sorry if that offends you, but <laughs> uh, the Gray Valley. So. Are you, I don't know if you were connecting these things or if it's a legitimate connection or like a pronounced connection is the gray Valley where this deal was brokered or are you saying you suppose this is the place where the story comes from? Oh, with the, the King and the the demon prince. Yeah, Yeah, it was. And then a battle took place here as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it would be really interesting if they found that weapon. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm genuinely pretty nervous for the group and, um, I mean, no resurrection. Matt gave them a bunch of healing potions. Um, I don't know if they used too many spell slots either. Um, I know Imogen used a few, uh, and so did Fern. But yeah, you know, they still got they got a lot in the tank still. So, and again, notably, not a legendary creature. Again, not that it has to be, but right. I don't know. I'm just like, mm, okay. Yeah, I'm with you. And, you know, only one third of the flowers. So it's not even like they're that close to being done either. Right. Um, but also, how get, sorry, ahead. how are they supposed to get back, by the way? Well, I know that that was like brought up, but to me, and I don't know if I like missed them, the conversation where they were talking about this, but can't Imogen just teleport them back? Well, didn't she specifically say she didn't have the charges to do it? Well, they would have to rest. Right. So but I guess I, mean, I guess if they're planning on not resting, then I don't know how they would get back. But for my money, yeah. I, like they're gonna have to sleep here or yeah. travel away and sleep somewhere and then teleport back. Yeah. But yeah, if that's if that's not the plan, then I have no idea. I guess okay. maybe I mean we don't know who amongst this Ashari group there was. Maybe there's like another druid that was sent that could then, like if they do find anybody still alive yeah. that could then isn't Orm looking for someone in particular who was with this group? Uh, totally possible. I don't, I don't recall. I thought there was a name and, um, there probably even, was it. I just, even when they saw the, 
a shari person who was like trapped in like the chest i think orm said like is it mm. is it so and so yeah and matt said no um yeah i think you're right i'm gonna look just because i can't remember exactly yeah i'm just i'm rusty because it was two weeks ago yeah and yeah. um but yeah and i think I you're right watched it so let me see While you're looking that up, just since I never mentioned it, and I know some people are like, just tell me the name of the sword so I can look it up. The the sentient uh, evil sword is called Grass Tachar, the Decadent End. G-R-A-Z-T-C-H-A-R. Grass Tachar is probably more how you say it. Yeah, okay. Um, so I, I, th- I don't know if I'm misremembering or if crit roll stats just didn't pick it up. Because there was the detail where he looked at the undead and said, do I recognize this one? And Matt said, this is Turin. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, this is Turin. Um, like an older Ashari, I think. But then I think, I thought he asked again about the chest one. And I think Matt said it was Fira or Fira. Maybe that was a different one. And yeah, people were like, and I think Laudan or Imogen was like, but not Fira Rai, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which, if Matt had just like smiled, I would have been like, "Hey, what?" <laughs> but anyway, probably not a conversation point worth talking about. But anyway, um, okay. So maybe more combat to be had. I guess let's back up from here. Um, a lot of other good discussion points from yeah. before well, the break. Real quick, just since it's sort of tied to this area, I wanted to just briefly bring up is this flower itself and why it. Yeah. Why here? Why places of strife? Um, I, I don't really have answers here. I just think this is an interesting question because no one is familiar with this poison. Like it's uh, alien, otherworldly. So like my initial thought was it's somehow tied to, you know, Pradathos or Ruidus or something. And that's how it came to be. Or it's just like novel and brand new. Like, and that's why no one knows how to deal with it. Um, <clears throat> but if it is alien let's call it then it's interesting that this flower heals it you know so like what's what's the connection not that there has to be one um but like i wonder you know this flower that only grows in these like rare places do they does it have anything to do with like battles that maybe took place like when Pradathos was still around or you know like i'm not shipping any of that but it was just interesting food for thought and like the leaves look like faces like What's that about? You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely not very positive. To <laughs> um, yeah, I had so many like zany thoughts about this, like because I'm still like on this like theory that primordial magic, like, magic tethered to the primordials works, and magic tied to the gods doesn't, or for the for to some effect, I guess, since we know some spells do work. Um, so I don't know. My mind went to like, could it be this is like small remnants of the primordials in some ways? And like, you know, they were like, let's just use whatever we got to heal these wounds. And then they were like, hey, we got this bundle of blue stuff and it happened to be curative. I I honestly have no idea. Um, I could definitely see Matt never addressing the connection, but I do think it's interesting how rare and unseen this poison is. Um 
And also interesting that the anger, didn't the anger seem to heal on his own? Or I guess when we saw him, he was still like bedridden, right? Well, he like took so, forever to heal, which is one of the reasons like, like that yeah. was always like in the future at the start of the campaign because he needed time to heal. And then when they saw him, I still think he had like was described with like a limp and stuff. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, okay. <clears throat> it is interesting because, uh, and you know, in the four sided dive, Matt didn't answer this question, but he, they like, he did talk about it a little bit with like, you know, sending spells are, don't work, but you know, this does, um, but to your point about like the primordials and stuff, we do know that um, residuum exists because of an ancient battle during the calamity, and we know that and we still don't have a name for this, but the the quasi residuum from the verdant tomb similarly only like is there because of the ancient Galdrasari like situation. Oh. So, and then now this flower that seemingly has a similar, yeah way it, it's formed um just very interesting that yeah presumably at places of, of great battles or where like godly blood or powerful blood was spilled powerful items manifest yeah um so yeah i don't i don't have more to say than that but yeah yeah okay so that was interesting um so backing up from there um we had an I, i'm kind of just going through some smaller details now yeah um, you mentioned four sided dive and I loved how they asked Talison about his sort of new outlook on life. Mm. Um, Talison, bro, Ashton's my favorite character, man. <laughs> so freaking good. But great. You know, it's, it, there's this moment in this episode where he goes to, I think to like the tailor or something. And, yeah. um, I don't remember the phrasing, but it was like, I want something to look like heroic looking or something or, yeah. um, just really cool, man. And, um, so they asked him in four sided dive, like what's going on? Like what's this this new outlook? And um, Talison had a really great answer about, you know, if, if your whole life you don't know who to blame, but you're angry, suddenly it, it kind of creates this sort of optimistic outlook when you can finally like point and be like, oh, here's why, here's why things have happened the way they did. Um, it yeah. made a lot of sense. I thought it was actually a really brilliant, um, very brilliant point that that uh, Talison sort of created there. Um, and I guess not much of a conver. I don't really have much of a comment here other than just, I just, I just, you know, I just love seeing Ashton continue to evolve into, I don't know, the kind of like this, the stable rock pun intended Ooh. for the group, yeah. you know, like this, this, um, he's kind of slid into Orem's place a little bit as Orem's kind of been more unsteady and kind of yeah. figuring things out. He is sort of like the, oddly enough, the optimist or like the. Like, let's, let's get this done. Let's save the world. And, um, I'm here for it, man. That's really all I got to say is I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, me too, man. I, I absolutely love the character arc. And, you know, I think we've had like, that's always been Ashton at heart. We've seen glimpses of it. Um, you know, we've, at a point we've talked about several times, I think is, you know, we don't steal copper from early in the campaign. Um, <laughs> where, you know, he's, he's got the tough exterior, um, but I love that Ashton now has like the courage to actually like be that, that way up front and like, you know, proactively, right. You know, be those things and do those things. Um, yeah. I wonder if, uh, <clears throat> I wonder if, you know, the, the jacket that says just don't, I wonder if that'll get altered at all or if it'll still like, yeah. they'll still rock it. Like maybe add like. 
this might be too cheesy, but like add give up to the end. So it's like, yeah. just don't give up. Um, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if I see him doing that, but uh, yeah, I'm with you all the way. I'd be an amazing journey with, with that. As cheesy as it is, dude, I would soak it up. I'd be like, yeah, let's get it. Me too. Um, so, well, cool moment with him. Um, loved the Orem and Chetney conversation <laughs> with Orem's mom. Uh, I think it was Ashley even got a whisper, I think, on the inside check about either Orem. I think the question was like Orem's heritage or like, does he look like he's gnomish or anything like that? And he was asked to do an inside check and um, she got a whisper from Matt. So I'm just like, what did, what, what got whispered over here? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess, especially if, if Travis and Liam, like, I, I highly doubt that that was already canon, but I guess there's nothing to stop it. If, if Travis and Liam had a conversation that's like, Hey, like, should Chetney actually be his dad? I don't, I don't really see that happening, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, I mean, I'm assuming, and I haven't seen the other two campaigns, but I'm assuming like these kind of like half joke, like lore details pop up that like, wasn't there one about you mentioned about it's like the origination of border being a dog, like someone like was a duck or something. Yeah. And it's not like an actual like lore point or maybe, it, maybe it was, I can't remember. It's like, it, it is like widely believed, okay. but it, it wasn't ever like explicitly said yeah okay you know so anyway it's a nice little example of that i feel like well not probably widely believed but um just a little fun lore detail i guess yeah i I think that'll be more of just kind of like a fun in community thing but uh Mm -hmm. because we at least do know that like orm had a dad that like walked out that left which Uh, that could be chetney i guess if if we really wanted to draw the line there his name was uh, Tinkertel, I think. I'm pulling all the way back from EXU season one. Yeah. Um, which for those of you guys who didn't watch it, um, there was a comment where someone said, do we, do we know who your dad is? And Orem said, well, Fern, you do. Because in EXU season one, um, there was a conversation around this and Orm kind of mm-hmm. gave his origin story. Um, but yeah, I think he said the exact phrasing was something like, um, you know, my dad's name was Tinkertel and he sort of just rolled on was like, I think the phrasing, um, but it would be really interesting if that was an alias of Sir, Sir C-Pop. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, if, if Travis and Liam got together, like they could absolutely make that be the case. Um, but I doubt that actually comes out to be like hard kid yeah. that Chetney's yeah. his dad. <laughs> the day that, that Chetney rolls the, uh, the one, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I think he said, I think he's, I think by the way, I don't, we didn't mention this, but I think in the previous episode, they asked him what he needed to roll and it's a D 100. Well, he rolls, uh, if he rolls, I think triple zeros or double zeros. Yeah, I think so. Um, but, um, it would be crazy for that to be like a realization, like you're my dad. And then just fate, what have <laughs> He rolls the zeros. <laughs> yeah. It's just last words. So. <laughs> but, um, anything else about that before I'd love to move over to, um, Keyleth at some point. Yeah. Uh, just the only other thing is, uh, regardless of the dad thing, I just thought it was awesome that those toys were C pop and that like Chetney actually is like, like yeah. a world-class, uh, craftsman and has been for hundreds of years. Um, which we already knew that like 
he was obviously an MC because of, you know, the Rex and from toy authority and stuff we've learned, but I just loved this, this added nugget of Chetney lore. Um, but yeah, that that's all. So we can, we can move to Keyleth now. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So Keyleth, um, in a really rough shape. Um, what was the convert? Just a total aside. What was the conversation about? Like the rage for thirty years. Like I was um, over my head. Is that referring to? Um, so I, I don't want to go into spoiler territory for our yeah. listeners, but um, being as careful, I'm assuming this is around a deal brokered with someone she loves who made a deal with a deity and then lost that person or it's is that the- I, I think it's just a culmination of of everything that's happened okay. uh basically since campaign one and like the the events of the end of campaign one um obviously you know spoiler free keyleth's alive so you know she survived campaign one but that's not to say that it didn't come with its wounds and its scars so okay. um i think it's just you know she's she has a lot to be angry about and frustrated by and i think that just was a comment of you know she's been carrying this anger for 30 years um and she wants a place to use it and obviously again spoiler free we know from campaign three she just saw vax get orbified and (laughs) you know i don't know if she they didn't explicitly tell her about that vision they had did they so i don't know like i don't know how like in the know she is of if she's aware that Vax is like constantly being tormented or not, but kind of regardless of if she knows that or not, she obviously knows he's not like they used her to get to him. And now, you know, he's not in a good spot. So I think that all is just, you know, this compounded anger uh, as, as spoiler free as possible yeah. there, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I really I liked that, that moment. Cause she, uh, <clears throat> you know, her philosophy on anger of like knowing when to, to use it and harness it. And, uh, it kind of reminded me of, uh, a, a later in the campaign Grog's philosophy on his rage and stuff. So I don't know if that was like an intentional callback necessarily, but yeah. it pro- I mean, it probably was, but I just, I liked that. Um, I think we talked about this whenever the party went to Whitestone, I feel like this was a conversation point or, or maybe I'm misremembering, but um is keyleth religious like does she have a deity that she follows or not not really um i think they kind of talked about that this in this episode too because i think fcg or somebody asked her like what like what's your which god do you follow or something and uh she mentioned that like a lot of druids and stuff they they uh like are the wild mother or the uh i can't remember the other one but the other like nature one and I think her stance on it is like gods are just <laughs> they're people like she didn't say that, but they're just like they're stewards of these domains and like they serve a purpose. And, you know, I don't know what would happen if they just weren't there anymore. So she's not like she's religious insofar as obviously yeah. like gods well, exist in this world and she even utilizes their power and ha- has met some. Um, I guess I guess this is what kind of brings me to the point i was trying to get at is um i i guess i'm just surprised that 
and maybe this is too, maybe I'm complaining about a lack of railroading, but I'm, I guess I'm a little surprised that Matt hasn't introduced a central character to be team God. Um, not, that's kind of even weird saying that as if he needs to. Um, I'm not even saying so much that like you need to stoke the flames, but I, I think it's of like, should they save the gods or not? I do think it's a little interesting though, that the party, even Orem's kind of losing or has, or is in the progress of like kind of losing his, um, I don't want to say faith, like his ferventness to protect the gods, I feel like. And I kind of wonder like what, if the party's kind of sliding down a hill towards like team, get rid of the gods. Like, is there anything that, that brings them back up or I don't know. And I don't even know really, honestly, it's kind of hard for me to articulate. Cause I don't even know really what I think. I know I've joked about like, what have the gods even done? Like really? Um, but I, I guess I just wonder, are we not too far off from the, the party being like, yeah, let's, let's stop Pradathos, but also screw the gods. Yeah. Um, and I guess I, I, I guess I expected Keyleth to kind of reinforce a little bit. I'm not saying anything was done wrong. I just, I, there was a void there that I expected Keyleth to be like, well, the gods are necessary. So, um, I don't know. Is this making sense? Yeah. Um, I, well, so yeah, she didn't say they weren't necessary, obviously. Um, but you get my point. Yeah. I just think that like, and she's not religious in that way. There were members of Vox Machina that were like Pike, for example, if right. we get to see her again, she might be a, a, you know, more powerful voice in that regard. Um, but we obviously have FCG now who's like all in on the change bringer. So I think they have that yeah. in the party they don't now. Also really take him seriously on that. I think with the whole coin direction thing, I think they were all kind of like, I think even Imogen was like, okay, good job, FCG. Like, yeah, this was nice. But I, I don't think they necessarily, I'm talking about like a third party or third party, an NPC who's, it gives a compelling reason. I, I mean, I interrupted you, but. No. Keep going. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I'm with you. They, they haven't really had that. Um, I didn't, I guess what I'll, I'm getting at is I didn't expect that to be Keyleth because it wouldn't really be in tune with her. Um, sure. So uh, the fact that she wasn't didn't stand out to me or anything, yeah, okay. if, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it does. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. I really don't. I know we've talked about this a lot, but <clears throat> at this point, I really don't see like a big like moment where it's like, do we press the button or not press the button? And like FCG mm. makes his argument and like, I don't really see it coming to that. Um. Because, I mean, I think they're all, because saving the gods is so inextricably linked to, like, stopping lewdness and stopping Pradathos. Like, I don't think there's a, there's any world where, like, okay, we stopped this, but now we, we could just kill the gods, though. Like, and maybe there, maybe there is a situation where that happens and then we do have that moment, but I don't know. I don't, I don't, it feels like they're saving the gods because they kind of have to. Yeah, you know, so, and I guess, and I don't know if I'm just complaining about nothing really. I mean, cause I guess like, why does the party necessarily have to have that as a compelling point? I don't know why I guess I feel like the absence of that is an issue, but I will say, I guess just aside from my own like random conversation about it. Another reason I was thinking about it was, um, 
watching Foresighted Dive today, um, Ashton, uh, Talison, I think there was a conversation about the Dawnfather Temple and, and Hearthdale, Hearthdale. And um, I think the question was something like, yeah, were, were they doing evil stuff? And we've talked about this on the show before of like, hey, are, are, did they like do something evil? Did the party do something like really messed up here? Because the temple was like, you know, kind of Catholic church-esque of like, hey, we're here, give us your tithes. But like, otherwise didn't really seem that bad. Yeah. But Ashton explicitly said, or Talison, excuse me, said like, oh yeah, they, they were evil for sure. And I think even said something like either convert or you disappear, which I didn't, then I started wondering, like, did I miss something? Like, did I miss a detail? Cause <laughs> yeah. I noticed that Danny Carr and Matt, neither one of them corrected him. So then I was really like, okay, hang on. I think I must've missed some kind of subtext here from that episode. Cause they basically raided this temple and killed a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, so I just so as an observation, it feels like, especially Ashton, but the party's like group, not morale, but like pro or anti God is like definitely shifting heavily in one direction, I guess. Yeah, which I guess it it feels more to. I mean, I guess you could make the argument for some of them certainly, but I feel like it's if anything, it's more like ap- apathy towards it rather than like being explicitly yeah, against it. That's fair. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, if there was subtext there, I missed it too. Like, but it, it, they have been like so gung ho about that, like ever since it happened. So maybe it's worth revisiting and see if we did like miss something, but yeah, I, I don't know. It is surprising that, you know, Matt didn't, uh, maybe Matt wouldn't want to like interfere with his player's interpretation of something. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess, Wait, sorry, what? What did you say? You did, did I was saying I was about that? to say like it is interesting that Matt didn't like correct Talison in his characterization of the church, but then I said, well, maybe Matt just like wouldn't want to like interject to how his player interpreted okay, yeah. something, like wouldn't want to cloud that. Okay, um, I can see that. Yeah, but especially if it's like a compelling story point for the person, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, but okay, y'all let let me know. Let us know in the comments what you guys think. Like if you did pick up on some extra subtext there where like that church really was like doing some real messed up stuff. Um, but another point in the four sided dive is, uh, when they were asking Matt about like the spells and stuff, they also, they also asked like, is Pradathos out? Like, are any of the gods already dead? And Matt didn't answer, of course. Um, and for my money right now, I don't think Pradathos is fully unleashed. So therefore I don't think any of the gods are dead, but an interesting dynamic to this whole big question I could see is that like some of the gods do die, but not all of them. And so maybe that's like an interesting way to kind of have that explored without it being like a full wipe. And also in terms of like intellectual property and stuff, um, I'm pretty sure like some of the gods are already like homebrew Matt. And then clearly Mm -hmm. some are like wizards IP. So like, I don't know. Maybe maybe we could get like the Dawnfather dies, which that would be interesting given like his presence in this campaign so far. Yeah. Um I don't know. I'm kind of rambling now, but uh it'll be it'll in any case be certainly interesting when some of these things come to the forefront if we do get like a big yeah 
Stella's choice moment or something. Yeah. Sophie's choice. <laughs> you said Stella's choice. And I'm in my head. I was like, what is that? I was thinking of that movie where it's like, <laughs> but then naturally I was like, yeah, man, <laughs> Stella's choice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Totally, bro. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, so we're about out of time. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Let me do the old patented quick note scan. Yeah. Um, but you got it, but great episode, by the way. I just really loved this episode. <clears throat> me too. Me too. I'm really excited for uh, tomorrow's. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Two two things I'm noticing, and they're actually both little points from the four-sided dive. Um, but I think we covered most everything. Oh, one thing from the episode itself was just the prominence and importance of Orem's family. And uh, by that, I also mean Will's family, but um, uh, Lita and Maeve are both like one is a prominent guard and the other is like, I forget the exact name, uh, like the defender of the Tempest or whatever. She was like one of Keyleth's like main guards. And then um, Barney, I believe, was like the person that like was making the the cure for like like an important like healer is the idea that I got. Um, Orem is a trusted guard and like, you know, trusted with very important missions. Uh, and then Will and Derek, like Derek was like, again, no spoilers, but we've talked about this connection before. Uh, Derek was a character Liam played in one of the, uh, Vox Machina one shots. And he was like, key lifts guard. So like that family is like, you know, Orem has always been very like humble and like yeah. never has played that up, but like they, they aren't literally royalty, but like his family seems like almost royalty within the Ashari with yeah. how many important positions they hold. Yeah. Um, anyway, I wanted to say that, but then uh, the two things from foresighted dive um, one, I thought it was interesting that we learned that Havestro, uh, who was the guardian of the Vanant tomb or whatever uh, is an Ashari from Pyra. Uh, but he like was hermited to guard this tomb um yeah i think he said like self-isolated or something yeah i thought that was a cool piece of lore that i don't think was ever mentioned in the actual show yeah um and then the only other thing is in foresight of dive matt mentioned that ludinus was not only one of the most intelligent people on the planet but was one of the oldest which we already we already knew that we had confirmation that that he was really old, but that one of the oldest on the planet, like I think it's a hard send that like he is as ancient as we've theorized yeah. he might be. Um, yeah, and we've for those who haven't um, seen previous content from us, we've we've been for a long time at an early showing of him, uh, been even wondering if he was around during the calamity. Like if he's even like, that's the source of his hatred for the gods. Um, I think we even threw out the idea that maybe he was the boy in. um, In uh, Frida's uh, vision. Yeah. 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 Theorize. I mean, through throughout the idea, but anyway. Um, Yeah. It also got me wondering, like, I wonder who the other oldest beings on Exandria are. Um, Yeah. Which. I know we're, we're pressed for time. Um, but one of the, the first thing that came to my mind was the bright queen, um, due to consecution and stuff. But again, drop in the comments. If you got some other ideas of who these, these ancient folks might be. 
Yeah. And that's all I yeah. got. All right, fam. Let us know what you thought about the app and um, what you're excited for for this next episode. Um, should have, like we said, Worlds Beyond. We'll be covering that soon. Um, last I checked, the latest episode wasn't out yet. So we'll yeah, see. I haven't, I haven't checked recently, but I checked a couple hours ago and it wasn't out. So yeah. I wonder if it's um, still going to come out today. For those of you that don't know, watch it, it usually doesn't even, it comes out Tuesdays. So the fact that it's almost the end of Wednesday. I knew, I know it was confirmed in the Discord um, by, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy Taylor. who produces it, Taylor Moore, that it was for sure coming out today. But it's 8 30 at night. It's still not on Spotify. Mm, so intriguing. Anyway. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in today. And, um, Anything else you want to say, Will? Uh, I mentioned it earlier, but I'll mention it again. Um, come hang out in the Discord. Like I said, we, we got an episode tomorrow. We'll be hanging out, chatting. Um, it's always a good time. Also, we're on yeah. TikTok, oh. Instagram, t- X. I hate Bro, the new Twitter, I man. I'm I not. Know. I don't know why I just called it X. I'm never going to call it that again. We're on Twitter. Are you going to... One last detail. Are you going to play Baldur's Gate 3? I Yes. I... I I want to get it. It comes out tomorrow, right? Yeah. This is the ultimate <laughs> D&D game. I know. So. I want to get like, I probably will just pull the trigger immediately and get it for tomorrow. I'll definitely get it at some point. I just don't know if I yeah. can spend the money on it right now. Thinking, since our channel is basically a and d channel, I'm thinking about maybe even like streaming to YouTube, like on the Pixelist channel, just like first impressions or I don't know what, honestly, but we've never done anything like that on our channel, but um, I don't know. We're me and Will are a big fan of first tries on things that go nowhere. So (laughs) (laughs) anyway, if you guys are playing that game, you might look out for something like that as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, alrighty y'all see you later. (laughs) (laughs) See ya.